and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. Glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. The goal of Connections Radio Show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, feeling, imagining, connected, and perhaps seeing the world around us in new and important ways. Our connection show today is sponsored by Clockwork. They do digital thinking for the digital era. Whether it's consulting or coding, Clockwork helps clients thrive in the digital era. Think of Clockwork as an extension of your team. Clockwork is supporting the work of RISE, reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And my co-hosts today are Nashina Hossein and Asma Mohammed. Welcome, Nashina and Asma. Hi, Lori. So good good to have you. You know, I want to give our audience a little more background on RISE. Um, Nashina met with a handful of Muslim women to talk about female leadership, civic engagement, community involvement, and philanthropy. And from those conversations, women realized that they needed to build a sisterhood and create a more sustainable change. And that was the launch of the reviving of the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And as the network grew, it became apparent that many, many women were creating an impact in their communities, but they were going unseen. Reviving Sisterhood has become a platform to amplify the voice and power of Muslim women and showcasing the changemakers, trailblazers, and leaders who are having social justice impact in our society. And they do all kinds of networking, workshops, events, and it's all focused on leadership development community engagement, and philanthropy. We also have Asma, who is the advocacy director, and she regularly leads trainings and speaks on issues around intersectionality, sexual violence, promoting Muslim women's voices, countering Islamophobia, fighting for women's rights, and being an all-around advocate for good things. So I am proud to have both Nashina as the executive director and leader of Rise and Mohammed and Asma Mohammed as the advocacy director as my co-host. How are Happy you both? To be oh, here-ish. <laughs> yes, <laughs> virtually. We keep finding virtual connections. Um, how are you all doing? Think it. Ebbs and flows, right? Um, we were just talking about how we don't know what day it is, and so it's almost like every hour we have a different emotion. Um, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling kind of good today. Um, hopeful. I think the weather helps. I'm excited that we might hit like 60 degrees. A chance to get out and you know enjoy the weather and take a walk and get some vitamin D. Um, you know, but I'm also worried about just, um, I think our governor is doing a great job in, um, having policies and, um, resources for our state to make sure we curb that pandemic. But, you know, I'm sure you saw yesterday what was happening mm. in terms of the protests and wanting to reopen. And it just, again, uh, makes me go back into that state of like, fear and not wanting to be exposed to the virus, wanting to protect my family and feeling this just sense of like um, isolation um, while we're doing this physical distancing. So it's kind of tough, but I'm trying to be optimistic. Um, I think that, you know, we're, I like saying we're one Minnesota and and we're going to get through this. Asma, how are you doing? Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as Machina, um, where there are days when I feel really awful, and there are days um, that are good and um, hopeful. And I think yesterday I felt pretty bad thinking about people in Minnesota who, who don't have any regard for everyone else's lives. And just knowing that we share a state that we, you know, that we all think that we're being as American as we can right now or being as patriotic. And I think that being patriotic right now means staying at home, protecting everyone that we can. And um, to just differ in that idea of being patriotic with people right now who care more about their Second Amendment rights than anything else is, it makes me angry more than anything. So I think since yesterday, I've just had this anger 
in me that has nowhere to go. <laughs> I, I was confused at first when the tweet came out of Liberate Minnesota. I was, mm. what the heck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, in I what mean, way, America from you? Yeah, you mean. <laughs> in, in what way do we need to save ourselves, and who are we saving ourselves from? I mean, it was yeah. it was a confusing tweet to begin with, and it was felt instigating. And yeah, absolutely, what, it was meant to incite what, some kind of. Anger. And I mean, normally Minnesota, you don't really think of it being chained and needing some sort of freedom. So that was a yeah. peculiar thing to wrap my head around. Um, and then the other part of it was, of course, as you mentioned, the the Second Amendment that Virginia um, and and that how that was added to the Virginia tweet, and mm-hmm. it was sort of implied with our tweet that somehow we're taking guns away. And then how does the pandemic, you know? equate with is that really the best time to be talking about guns <laughs> really yeah really? Or freedom i mean isn't this the best way to protect your freedom yeah yeah so I what mean, is freedom and, and and a peaceful trying to stay at home and take care of our family and ourselves and be good to our neighbors and we're to be liberated from that is just i had a hard time making sense out of that i also was kind of unsettled by this notion that us being required to physical distance and stay home was somehow um, infringing upon our First Amendment rights to practice our faith. So if you can't go to the synagogue or if you can't go to the church to uh, celebrate and observe Easter, that that immediately went to violation of the freedom of religion right and it just was really uh shocking to hear you know that angle because Mm -hmm. nobody's telling you not to practice your religion nobody's forcing you to be another religion what we're trying to do is like save your lives and make sure that you have the ability to be whatever religion you want uh because you'll be alive to be able to make that decision. So that was really unsettling for me, too, especially as we're coming out of uh, several different holidays and also as, you know, we are moving into uh, observing Ramadan uh, starting next weekend. Well, the governor's comeback, I thought, was the most brilliant. Wouldn't you rather be six feet apart than six feet under? <laughs> yeah, that was, so, yeah. was so sad about that one. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. We're terrified. Uh, I will admit it. I, 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 I'm good about keeping six feet apart if that yeah. helps all of us stay above ground. Uh, Absolutely. Well, there's also – it all brings up uh, challenges in Islamophobia. You know, there's racism and hate that, that also is, is fermenting. Um, and you do a lot of work in advocacy and you've got a bill that you're working on right now. Can you share with us about the hate crimes bill, um, what it entails, who's all involved, where it's at? Uh, I think this is a, a really good time to be looking at that and as Minnesotans stepping to the plate about what it means to to have something that we can get behind that will address these issues so people do not have to be in fear. Yeah, so this hate crimes bill has been in the works for actually a couple of years. Um, Representative Frank Hornstein is the lead author in the House and had been meeting with community groups. He's very involved in the community and um, reached out to people asking them kind of what they wanted. So he and Attorney General Keith Ellison put this idea together. And this this bill has bipartisan support, but basically it would ask um, police departments, so it would work with the Post Board, which is the police officer um, standard training uh, board, which, you know, like helps standardize the training, basically, that police officers have. So it would work with them to help them understand what hate crimes look like in Minnesota. Um, and it would change that training. And it would also improve tracking for hate crimes and would change the way that we, we look at hate crimes as a state. So, for example, when the Masjid um, Darul Farouk was bombed a few years ago, it was not listed as a hate crime. The FBI listed it as a hate crime, but Bloomington Police Department did not. 
And that's because of the their definition um, in Minnesota, our definition in Minnesota of what hate crimes are. So that should change, obviously, and because that was absolutely 100% a hate crime. And we, we want to be able to track hate crimes um, in a better way. So this bill would also allow for community groups, including RISE, um, you know, the Council on Asian American Leaders, groups that are kind of always, that are always paying attention to what's going on in their communities. It would allow us to report those hate crimes. Um, so other organizations that are on the front lines with the hate crime bill are um, JCA, Jewish Community Action. Um, there are several others, including Outfront Minnesota. But yeah, it has bipartisan support in the House and in the Senate because who who would be against better tracking and making sure that we can have this? And we'll find out more of, of who is actually against making sure that Minnesotans are more safe. Um, but as of right now, we are hopeful about this bill passing. What I am so uh, appreciative of is is getting that definition. I mean. It may be something that was just overlooked or maybe there was an unconscious bias about why you know it it, it was not more inclusive. Um, but what did it take to pull that definition together? Well, it was really talking to, to people in the community. And I think there was some outrage when people found out that it wasn't listed as a hate crime by Bloomington Police Department. Um, and this is actually not just impacting the Muslim community. It's, it's impacting the Muslim and the Jewish community and uh, the Christian communities. It's a lot of communities of faith. Because currently, the hate crime statute doesn't list property crime as hate crimes. So a crime against a person that's, you know, a biased crime would be listed as a hate crime. But a crime against a synagogue, for example, or a mosque or a church, um, which has been, you know, on these have been on the rise, especially against mosques and synagogues, we wouldn't be they wouldn't be listing that as a hate crime, but rather as a property crime. So this came out of really what happened at Darul Farouk and people being angry that it was not being considered the way it should be. So um, it, I think more than anything, people were angry that they weren't seeing that reflected in their own city, but it was being reflected at a federal level. And we should also add that um, Attorney General Keith Ellison and others kind of did um, a little road trip around the state and had conversations with a lot of different community groups around um hate and racism and xenophobia that they're facing so yeah they had like hearings constantly i mean they're happening every other week where they're just having having listening sessions with communities all over the state to to learn about what they wanted to see in this bill and that's where the language came from is there anything that the audience should know or be able to do to support this um, I would, I mean, I still think that we should be calling. We still should be emailing. Um, not all of them are going to respond, or not all the legislators are going to respond, but still letting them know. If you support them, let them know that, because this is a really hard time for everyone. And all of our priorities in the House and Senate have shifted. So I sent out um, an email to our to our base, uh, I, think, I think about a week ago, or two weeks ago, actually, letting them know that all of the priorities have shifted to responding to COVID-19, which makes sense, right? The House mm-hmm. and the Senate are going to be asked about that, like how will they do through um, appropriate funds to respond to the crisis. But they're also focusing on bills with a lot of bipartisan support. And if they don't see enough bipartisan support, those bills are not going to pass. So most of the bills that we've been working on for years, Aren't, nothing's going to happen with them because there isn't um, overwhelming bipartisan support. But with the hate crimes bill, we think that there is still a really solid chance of it passing through the House and the Senate. Um, and especially because we're seeing the rise in anti-Asian sentiment, that that is very possible. Well, tell you what, why don't I get from you some wording and I'll put it up on the Facebook connections page so that folks, if they want to know how to write something to their um to their representative that they can um, they can know what to say and how to say it. Awesome. Yeah. I can play to do that. Terrific. And Lori, yeah. yeah, and Lori, we should also um, just kind of remind people that even though we're doing physical distancing and we're not physically at the Capitol and we're not doing these days at the Capitol and meeting with our legislators, digital advocacy is still a very real thing, right? 
our legislators are still working and they still appreciate us giving them a call, emailing them, uh, tweeting, texting. They still want to hear from us. And so don't feel that just because we are required to stay home that the advocacy work stops. There are still many different ways for us to reach out to our legislators and talk to them about the issues that matter to us. And in fact, this might be a really good time when you have a little bit of time to connect with your legislator about the things that you care passionately about. And I'm hoping that you care passionately about the the hate crimes bill. We'll have uh, a little blurb from our friends at Rise on the Connections Radio Show Facebook page that'll talk about digital advocacy and what you can do with hate crimes. But we're going to have to go to break, but there's more to come. Um, in our next segment, we're going to be looking about what we looking at what we started to talk about in the um, anti-Asian xenophobia and COVID-19. So stay with us. Uh, we'll have these two great leaders share with us some insights on things that we need to be thinking about and things that we need to do. So stay with us after um, a few couple commercials. We'll be back with some good insights for you to be thinking about doing. I'm Peter Rackler from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue, Brunson's Pub. Experience history and passion through the delicious menu, reflecting the Eastside's diversity. The choices are limitless. Salads, sandwiches, burgers, and shareable plates. Visit Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. Hi, everyone. Matt McNeil here. Thanks for keeping your radio tuned to AM 950. This is a challenging time for everyone, including us here at the radio station. To make sure AM 950 keeps broadcasting, we need your help. Head over to AM 950 Radio and sign up to support AM 950 with however much you can. And Brett and I will personally be thanking listeners who contribute on our shows. Head over to AM950Radio.com. That's AM950Radio.com and declare, yes, I want to support AM 950. From everyone at AM 950 and from me personally, thank you very much much and thanks for listening to the progressive voice of minnesota hey it's brett from fyi politics we appreciate you listening to am 950 and promoting minnesota's only progressive talk station we also want to remind you how important it is to support our advertisers amid the coronavirus outbreak the advertisements you hear on am 950 are what allows us to stay on the airwaves and bring you the best in progressive talk radio we're not funded through some giant parent company We're an independent, locally-owned business that relies on the local advertisers you hear. Unfortunately, many of those advertisers are going to be hit hard by the coronavirus closures. So please, support our advertisers in any way that you can. Whether that's ordering some delicious takeout food from one of our Eat Local Minnesota restaurants, purchasing gift cards, or even just contacting them and telling them thanks for supporting AM950. We know times are tough, so even the littlest thing you can do can go a long way to help. Find a full list of our advertisers at am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com. And thanks for listening. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. I'm here with Ryan, owner of the locally owned Snap Construction and arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor in the metro. Ryan had to call in for this ad because he's practicing social distancing. So what is Snap Construction doing right now to provide a safe working environment? Thanks for the introduction, Chad. I am at home practicing social distancing, watching the little man, and uh, trying to get a little work done here at home. Once again, thank you to all the AM950 listeners who have worked with us in the past. Your support has been tremendous. Chad, the safety of our homeowners and our team at Snap Construction is the absolute first priority. Right now, we are offering a free no-contact estimate for roofing, siding, or window replacement. Through video chat, email, text, we'll deliver your bid to you without face-to-face contact. Lock in your historically low labor and material rates now and build later. No obligation. You can cancel any future work with no cost or penalty. For a free no-contact estimate, call 612-333-SNAP. Welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm so glad you've joined us today and that you're here to talk about good things and smart things and new things and ways to get us connected about things that are important. And to do that today, we have our friends from RISE, which is the Reviving Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And I have the Executive Director, 
Nashina Hussein and their advocacy director, Asma Mohammed. Welcome. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and we also have a great big shout out to our friends at Clockwork. Clockwork is digital thinking for the digital era. They do magnificent things to get people thinking about ways to work together with technology. Um, One of the things that I think is important is that they're a collection of thinkers and doers. They're professionals and they're tinkers and they bring smarts, curiosity and values to every project. Yeah, and I think during this time especially, you need people like folks at Clockwork to help you figure out how you're going to do digital. Are you going to go fully digital? Uh, you know, this is where digital becomes front and center, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> how are we connected? Well, as I mentioned at the end of our last segment, uh, and as we started to talk about in the first segment, uh, there's been a rise in anti-Asian xenophobia, especially around COVID-19. How are you all addressing it? And, you know, Asian Minnesota's at the capitals, what's going on with that? Um and and I, I understand you have a statement with Asian organizations. So that's a lot to throw out at you. You can take any one part of it that you want. Um, but tell us what's happening. Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about the Asian Minnesota the Capitol. And Nashina, you can jump in about what do you, what happened, I mean. Um, but Asian Minnesotans at the Capitol has happened uh, every year for I don't know how long. But it's it's usually a day that's in person. Um, people are advocating for things that will impact all Minnesotans, um, very similar to how we do our day at the Capitol. And luckily, we did our day at the Capitol much earlier on, so we didn't have to worry about, you know, who was going to be able to show up in person Um but this was the first digital advocacy day that we were a part of, and it was awesome to, to be a part of it. But one of the focuses was seeing how the governor and seeing how our folks at the legislature are responding to this rise in anti-Asian sentiment. We've seen things from um, an increase in hate crimes to um, mail, like hate mail to Asian neighbors, and we we want to do something about it. So... Um, these community groups, um, and I want to shout out Cal because they really took the lead on this, but the Council on Asian American Leaders took the lead coalition. and worked with the governor. <laughs> Sorry? It's the Coalition, coalition of Asian coalition. American Leaders. <laughs> well, they took the lead on this and um, helped produce a form that goes directly to the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. And so this form, um, which is linked all over our Facebook page and we'll send to you, Lori, as well, um, it allows folks to report hate crimes or any discrimination that they're facing during this time. And it goes, again, straight to the Department of Human Rights, so that that actually creates a report with them. And I think it's so important to be tracking, again, how, what people are doing, you know, how, what the, if there is a rise, which of course there is, how are we tracking it? How are we paying attention to it? Um, and what are we going to do about it as a state? And Governor Walls has been really great on, you know, making statements about how any anti-Asian sentiment or actions against Asian neighbors is not okay. But we need to, you know, we, we are working on that hate crime bill that we mentioned earlier because we want there to be an actual um, change in our statutes as well. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, Lori. You know, it was back in March when at a press conference, the president referred to it as the Chinese virus. And we know that in, you know, history repeats itself in terms of just how many times um, Asian Americans have been demonized and excluded and really blamed for things that are happening um, in our country. We've seen that in the Chinese Exclusion Act. We've seen laws that prevented um, Filipino family uh, being reunited during the Great Depression. There's Japanese Americans that were in internment camps during World War II. Um, and so this just is like another form of just that uh, hatred and that racist uh, actions being like repeated, and so you know about twenty twenty five organizations uh, came together with a joint statement to basically urge community leaders um, to be more proactive about this racism and violence that was happening against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Um, we, you know are trying to work together to really amplify 
the hate that is happening in our community. And just like um, what Asma said, that our communities, you know, we are already from very marginalized identities. And so to there's already a mistrust in reporting these things to law enforcement. And so when it gets unreported, then, you know, agencies believe that, oh, it's not happening. And so we needed to come together and really just condemn these acts and really hold um, our elected officials accountable and really call for some bold leadership and actions to protect our communities. And so that, I think, is um, something that, you know, we want to acknowledge that there are there's just so much racism that's out there. And it's really unfortunate that even in a time of a pandemic, when we think that we are all sort of um, coming together, that we still see this type of hatred um, against our communities. Yeah, and I think that scar- that scarcity mindset increases that, that people think there's not going to be enough toilet paper for everyone or there won't be enough canned tomatoes. I mean, I remember going to the grocery store before um, before the state went on lockdown and just seeing the shelves empty. And I was thinking about vulnerable populations who didn't, you know, didn't have access to um, Internet or TV, letting them know that this lockdown was going to happen. And wondering, where will I buy food? Where will I, you know, where will I find access? And food shelves are having a problem doing that. And when things like this happen, who do they blame? It's usually, you know, communities of color. And in this situation, they're blaming the Asian American community, um, which is just awful and disgusting and just another display of like what's been, what's happening in our country and what's been happening for decades. The reality is that this kind of sentiment is not new. It's just a continuation of how our country has been dealing with what they consider outsiders forever and how they blame us for pretty much everything. You know, I, I went back to the Spanish flu epidemic in um, 1918, and it was uh, heartbreaking to see history being repeated now by looking back at the Spanish flu. The, the individuals that were hardest hit during that pandemic were immigrants and especially Asian immigrants. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, my gosh, it was the same blame game. It was the same hysteria. It was the same fears. And it was generally because these were uh, many of these populations were lower income. They were new to the country. Um, and it was easier to create a villain than it was to look at how do we just all support each other. And and for me, it was like this mind boggling. That's 100 years ago. And we we need to relive that lesson again. Um yeah. That, that was disheartening, and yet maybe because we can look at that lesson and we can look at this lesson and that we can talk about it, um, that we can make some course corrections and that we can look at how do, how do we – wait a minute, stop and look at this and go, there is, there is a – whether you want to call it an unconscious bias or a straight-out bias, um, mm-hmm. this needs to be addressed. And it yeah. and it seems like the pandemic is revealing all of our yeah. structural challenges that may be hidden. One quote that I saw that I thought was brilliant was, it's kind of like an x-ray. You might not see that the bones are broken when you just look at a person. But mm-hmm. when you have an x-ray and this pandemic is like an x-ray, it starts to show all the the flaws, the cracks, the the pain and the challenges that are really in our structures. Yep. And it reiterates a lot of what communities of color and uh, marginalized communities have been saying forever. Like, we need support. And now everyone's asking for that support, right? And wondering, why isn't there free health care? Um, why isn't, you know, why aren't we being supported by our state when we're, when we're paying in taxes? Why is that money going towards, um, mil- like, you know, like so many different things. It's going towards supporting rich folks so going towards supporting jeff bezos and amazon versus supporting actual workers who are on the front lines right now you know putting their lives at risk to make sure our grocery stores are stocked well i and, think it's, it's easier for society to do an us and them if you can keep the two divided in some way yeah, but unfortunately the pandemic kind of takes that you know division away it you know it's an equal opportunity pandemic 
And, exactly. and if we don't figure out how to do this together, we're all going to hurt. Yeah. But whether scary. you're doing this for the good of humanity and morality and, you know, what's important to be a human being, or you just want to save your life, it's time to look at this. Mm-hmm. And Lori, one of the things, you know, that statement that you just said around the pandemic is an equal opportunity, but the response to COVID-19 is not, no. right? We see the racism in access to health care. We see the even racism. access to testing. The testing right, yeah. is- and the people who are dying are, you know, in Chicago uh, is a skewing towards African-Americans. Yeah. And so this notion of that, you know, it's, it's COVID is, you know, doesn't see race. Yeah, but everything else does, whether it's health care, whether it's small business loans or unemployment insurance or child care or food security. All of that still is very obviously um, struck in, uh, institutionalized racism. Well, I appreciate the work both of you are doing in in addressing this. And I am hoping that because of leaders like yourselves, we can make a difference for the future by being able to point this out and saying to all who are part of our our global society, we got to make some changes. And how do we do that? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your leadership in showing us ways to think and do um, positive actions uh, to make a difference. And with that, I got to go to break. Uh, but next segment, let's talk about Governor Walsh. You said uh, in our first segment how you think he's doing a good job. Let, let's talk about what the state's doing in our next segment. How's that? Yeah, awesome. Good. All right. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can save money with All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that it's too expensive and you need lots of money down. The truth? Solar is available for little or no money down. And if you have a great site for solar, you might even save money right away on a monthly basis. So don't wait to switch. You'll see your investment pay off the sooner you switch to All Energy Solar. So start saving today and visit allenergysolar.com. I'm Peter Rackler from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue. Brunson's Pub is a place where history and passion are a part of every detail, starting with the menu. The Payne Phelan neighborhood arose from Dakota people who lived here for hundreds of years and pioneering immigrant communities, Irish, Swedes, German, and Italians, who made the Eastside their home. More recently, waves of new residents from Asia, Latin America, and Africa continue the rich immigrant history and are revitalizing the community's cultural life and economy. Come experience Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Hey, it's Brett from FYI Politics, and I want to thank you for listening to AM950. The advertisers you hear are what allows us to stay on the airwaves, and unfortunately, some of them are going to be going through some tough times with the coronavirus. So support our advertisers in any way you can, whether that's ordering takeout food from one of our Eat Local Minnesota restaurants, purchasing gift cards, or just contacting them and telling them thanks for supporting AM950. Even the littlest thing you can do can go a long way. Find a full list of our advertisers at am950radio.com. And thanks for listening. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. We're in an unprecedented battle against the COVID-19 virus. The state of Minnesota is doing everything possible to keep you safe, but we need your help. We need you to stay home. Flatten the curve on COVID. Let's get through this thing together. 
Make the most of your time at home with a new gas pellet or charcoal grill during Warner Stallion's Grill Expo. Get the lowest prices of the year online, by phone, or in-store. Then enjoy free assembly, contact-free delivery, and free haul-away. Only at Warner Stallion. With your AM weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today's going to be mostly sunny, the high near 62. Well, tonight's mostly cloudy, low around 34. Tomorrow's sunny, the high near 51. Monday, partly sunny, high near 60. And Tuesday, sunny, the high near 55. Thank you for all of the listeners that have supported by becoming members. Thank you for all the kind notes, calls, and comments. Our community of listeners is inspiring to all of us at AM950. We are committed to getting through this and supporting our community. To see how you can help, go to am950radio.com. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and our show today, Connections, is sponsored by Clockwork, and that's digital thinking for the digital era. They do people first as a business strategy, and it's Clockwork's cornerstone on how they work with clients. They treat each other that way. That's how technology is approached. They think about you and the business decisions that you're making. So we appreciate Clockwork supporting the work of RISE, which is the Reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And my co-hosts today are Nashina Hussein and Asma Mohammed. Welcome. Hi, Lori. Thank you, Lori. I'm so glad you're here. So we were talking about Governor Waltz, and you think he's doing a good job? He put out the zero tolerance for hate in Minnesota. So what's the state doing? And how is it all getting reported? Yeah, I mean, so we mentioned um, that, you know, these organizations came together. Nashina, you said it was, it was 25 organizations that came together? Uh, yeah. yeah, for Asian. Yeah. Um, we have to speak out against Asian American yeah, and the, the governor and his office have been doing a really good job of just listening to the Asian American community right now and asking, you know, what do you need? Um, what can I do to help? And so he and Lieutenant Governor um, Peggy Flanagan have been issuing not only just not only issuing statements, right, which is important to issue those statements of saying, like, we stand against hate, but also saying we will change the way people can report this. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, there is a new form that's online that links directly to the Department of Human Rights so folks can report. Um, it's a pretty easy form to fill out and is really accessible, and I think that was the most important piece of this is that people maybe don't feel comfortable calling, they don't feel comfortable emailing, um, but this form is just really easy to, to fill out and let people know that they can they can report and they can let people know what's happening um, if they're facing discrimination anywhere. Nashina, yeah, and go ahead. I just want to add, yeah. so Lori, I just want to add that. I think at first when, you know, you talk about well, what can we do to mitigate these um, hateful acts and discrimination against the community, you know, creating a hotline to call in to report feels like it's nothing, right? And we want to make sure that people understand that, you know, the the form is there so that we can begin to document all the types of hate that's happening. And and I, we also know that um, this is happening to people who may not have, who may be, you know, multilingual and, and English may not be their first language. And so it's not just people who have actually been uh, victims of the crime, but also anybody who has witnessed it. So, you know, I have a friend here who was at the grocery store. He watched um, another man harass an elder Hmong woman at the grocery store. And so he actually interceded and wanted to make sure that that woman was safe and, um, you know, called the, the store manager and they got involved and wanted to make sure that this, you know, this woman was safe. Um, but that requires him to also, like, report it, right, because he witnessed that type of hatred um, and has an opportunity to share the incident so that we can continuously track it. And I also want to point out that um, Commissioner Lucero from the Minnesota Department of Human Rights has actually um, started to really work with the group of Asian American organizations in helping us understand what's being reported, how it is being reported, and what the trends are. So we're trying to get as much transparency as we possibly can 
knowing that many um, of our community members, they come to us and tell us about what's happening, um, and but are fearful to, like, actually pick up the phone and report it anywhere. And so we know that we are, you know, that um, liaison between the department and our community. And so I just would like to urge um, others that if you witness it or if somebody has shared their story with you, that you should speak out and that you should report it, whether you call into this discrimination um, hotline or if you actually go online and fill out this intake form. What I hear you say is that there's like, Initially, there's some trust factors, too, of picking up the phone that there might be there. So having an ally Mm -hmm. that supports in seeing it is really important. But for those who are victims that may want to report themselves, part of it, I would think, a barrier is, you know, does someone really care? You know, Mm -hmm. and having a hotline that can folks like you can be able to advocate and say, yes, you know, we, we can vouch that, yes, people care. Please use this line and that Mm -hmm. you will be heard. There, I, I can imagine there are plenty of times when people have made complaints, but they haven't felt heard. And, right. and and hopefully the hotline will translate in a bigger picture of we care and something will be done about it. Yeah. And I mean, literally, there are translators and interpreter services available mm-hmm. on the hotline. So if you aren't comfortable in speaking, you know, in English or would like to convey in your in your language, then there are definitely um, services available for that. Um, and to echo what you're saying, we want people to be able to feel safe and that they have um, that they are being heard and that something is being done about it. Mm-hmm. And with that, I got to go to break again. It goes too quick. I wish we could just go on for hours and hours. There's so much to talk about. Um, But I need to go to break. But when we come back, um, we're going to be talking about um, how this pandemic has impacted the religious holidays. We started to talk about that in the first segment, but let's do a little bit of a deeper dive in our next segment. How's that? Sure. All right. Well, stay with us and we'll be right back here on Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Clockwork is an experienced design and technology agency, which means they help transform businesses around the globe by connecting people, processes, and technology. They bridge the gap between marketing and technology to put people at the heart of digital solutions, transforming how your customers interact with your brand. Clockworks Technology Consulting, Experience Design, and Software Development Expertise makes them a full-service digital partner to help you design your customer experience, build an app, or connect all of your digital properties into one seamless system. If you're in need of major tech updates but aren't sure where to start, they'll help you figure that out, too. To learn more about how they've helped other businesses make digital transformation less painful, visit clockwork.com slash radio. Clockwork, digital done right. When you need legal assistance, let the Minnesota Lawyer and Referral Information Service help you find the right attorney. It's a new and enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They have professional, experienced referral counselors who can connect you to vetted attorneys practicing in employment law, divorce, bankruptcy, DUI, and much more. Take the stress out of finding a lawyer. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. Hackers, ransomware, security breaches. As I speak, cyber criminals are stepping up their attacks on businesses like yours. Hi, Mark Sommerfeld of Rymark. Rymark has the expertise and experience necessary to navigate your company to safe water. We launch our process with a network security assessment. We'll uncover the hidden threats to your business and provide you with a map to peace of mind. And it's free. Call 651-328-8900 or go to rymarkit.com to schedule your free security assessment today. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. 
follow those rules. Wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors, and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. Our Connection show today is sponsored by Clockwork, and they do digital thinking for the digital era. And Clockwork thinks about people using products. From internal teams to external end users, Clockwork teams talk, act, and create in ways that resonate with people, not personas, audiences, or clients. So thank you. Big, big, big thank you to Clockwork. Clockwork is supporting the work of RISE, reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And my co-hosts today are Nashina Hussein and Asma Mohammed. Welcome. Thank you, Larry. Wasn't it nice to hear Governor Walz just there? Uh, yeah. And I was like going, yes, let's, who are we liberating? I'm into what we're talking he, about. He, he's the liberator. He wants to save lives. Isn't that a nice idea? Let's, let's save lives together. Let, let's just do that for the community, shall we? And yeah. yeah, the way to do that is to stay home. Yes. Don't be, you don't even have to leave your couch to save lives yes. today. And, and, you know, you don't have to go up on steps with, you know, lots of other people with big signs. Um, they're, they're, in Minnesota's more into quiet revolutions anyway we you know this conquering down is something we do naturally we do it in the winter we're trained to do this that's why we can do this but it has an added incentive that by staying home we can save someone's life let let's just do that with that and that whole idea of hunkering down um the pandemic and us hunkering down has impacted the way that we that we celebrate our faith. And we started to talk about that in the first segment. And, and it was also in the context of folks feeling like somehow we've lost or we're being told we can't celebrate uh, our faith because we're being asked to not go to services. Uh, tell us what you think about that. Um, I mean, we stopped hosting Friday prayers early on. I know that Nashina is on the board of uh, a mosque in Brooklyn Park. And I know that you guys stopped doing Friday prayers pretty early on, too, right? Yeah, we started March 13th. We closed our closed our, our mosque down, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I think that was the right call. And I think that every other place of worship responded really quickly and said, hey, don't come this Friday or this Saturday or this Sunday. My Um, my church is sending out Zoom meetings. Yeah. We're we're Zooming uh, our services. And that's how you keep your congregants safe. Um, That's the the best thing to do right now. And of course, like being not being able to go to the mosque, especially during the month of Ramadan, is going to be incredibly difficult. I mean, we... Um, as Muslims, we have a very spiritual connection to our place of worship, but we're also told that the whole world is a mosque for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole world is a place of worship because we believe that, you know, it's it's a, a gift to creation. So um, as, as hard as it is, it's more important, and I think that we are actually increasing in that worship just by staying home um, because we are trying to protect the rest of God's creation. Um, that's my personal take, right? That because in in Islam, um, the idea is that if you save one life, you're saving all of humanity. And if I save one life by not going outside, then then great, like I get to save all of humanity while staying at home. And um, during the month of Ramadan, we are coming up with really creative ideas. I think this is a time when uh, Muslim families can really like go all out in the way that makes sense to them. Like I'm decorating my house like crazy this year and um, going to be cooking more and going to be praying with my family more in a way that I haven't gotten to in a really long time. Yeah, and I just want to add that, um, you know, I watched a lot of my Jewish friends 
and how they observe, uh, observed the Seder because Seders were getting canceled immediately, right? And um, I also watched like how Passover was observed, and then after that it was um, Easter. And one thing I had to appreciate was just watching um, sort of like the resilience of people and making the best um, out of their holidays in their homes. And kind of like what Asma talked about was, you know, I, I watched people still decorate, still cook an amazing meal, still dress up and still use Zoom to like have what what was termed uh, Z-ster um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and making sure that, you know, they're still doing the best they can. And so as we prepare, um, I think, uh, you know, I had a uh, an indigenous friend kind of point out that we are going back to some restorative and regenerative practices by doing things in the home, by slowing down and taking it easy and thinking about our self-care and our families um, within our homes. You know, I appreciate uh, all this, like, uh, home-cooked meals that we're all getting involved in, right? People are, I mean, Asma, I watch, like, you making cookies and <laughs> all these yummies with, like, Alea, right? And um, Arsha and I are doing similar things in the home. I've seen Ayaz also, you know, my daughter and my son getting involved. So I feel like we're really, it's this this moment where, you know, as being spiritual beings, we're, we're being reminded of like, hey, slow down and enjoy like the blessings that you do have. And that I think right now is really what's making me feel appreciative and also optimistic of what um, Ramadan can be for all of us. And I think you know, faith- this time, I think, go ahead, sorry. No, I, we're, we're coming down to the minute. And I was just going to say quickly that sometimes our faith can get uh, disjointed mm-hmm. and it's a place that you go to service, but then it doesn't necessarily apply back to the home. And, yeah. it, it, and, and we don't do it consciously, but it just happens. Um, mm-hmm. It's really giving, as you were saying, a recognition that our spirituality is centered in our family and our home and how do we start there first. Yeah. And we'll be posting ideas on how to stay connected during Ramadan as well. So, so stay tuned for that. And, yeah. and, and post it on our, um, our Connections Facebook page because I think it's a great way for all of us to learn about each other's faith practices and, and how we can bring that to our home and to our, um, and into our faith journey. So I appreciate sure. you, you sharing and allowing us all to figure out how to connect and, and to build something bigger and transform during this time into something better. So I appreciate your leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. And thank you for listening and being a part of our Connections journey.